We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a perfect start to the new season with a win at Crystal Palace. Arsenal right the wrongs of last season and brand new signing William Saliba is a star. And because he's a brand new signing, everybody agrees on everything about him. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Long-winded intro for you there, but a lot to get to because we did win on opening night on a Friday, which allowed us to just relax over the weekend and enjoy the football, enjoy the Dumpster fire Manchester United continuing to simmer away nicely. Um, It means that we are off to the perfect start. Three points, not exactly top of the league, if you believe that goal difference nonsense, but close enough to top of the league, and at least we were going into Friday evening. And we got a star turn from our brand-new signing, William Saliba. And because he's a brand-new signing, there's no priors, no arguments. Everybody's just happy that we signed him and happy that he's great. Eh, Maybe not exactly that. Obviously, the Internet's going to do the Internet thing, but hopefully you intelligent listener, are just thrilled that he's a part of the Arsenal and that he's performing well, and long may it continue. Sign the ting. Okay, we got a lot to get to and a lot of people to introduce and a lot of topics to cover, and we have to start with Paul, though, because Paul, uh, now I have to bring the tone down, Um, Paul has gone through some challenging times uh, in his personal life. Uh, certainly, we have all individually wished him well, but I know a lot of you did as well. Paul's on Twitter, Puzz My Pants, and I think, Paul, you would like to uh, say a few words. Yeah, woohoo. Um, look, everybody's been really, really, really lovely, and uh, it's amazing, really. Um, we lost a close family friend. It's been very tough, a uh, very tough week, and the funeral was last Friday, and everybody was... People, I think, heard on the, the instant reaction pod that I was going through some stuff, and then the Arsenal account uh, said something nice. And just generally, people have been incredible. So, thank you. I hope I got back to almost everybody. I'm not a good follow at the moment with uh, thank yous and hearts and things, but uh, very sincerely, it's amazing and uh, genuinely was really very kind and helpful and thank you guys 
it's amazing really and i'll say one other thing it's amazing you, you get a real sense that everybody is going through something or has gone through something at some stage and like you always know that but man it's it's so clear so many people have gone through something like that recently so i feel a bit humbled and like why <laughs> a little bit why me but um it's not really a why me it's why all of us so uh, community has like it's so hard to have communities these days and this really is one so thank you everybody yeah well we love you paul and we're we're sorry yeah. you're going through it we're here for yeah. you i mean i think all of us on this pod at one point or another have experienced the power of the arsenal community really providing support at a challenging time. And I'm glad we provided that. And just to echo your sentiments, I agree. You are a terrible follow. Um, so <laughs> you, nailed, you nailed it. You said all of it perfectly. Uh, so we move on, but yeah, we love you, Paul. Thank you. Um, Tim's on Twitter. Ask Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there. Indeed. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello. Hello. Okay, Tim. Uh, first game of the season. You were there at Brentford last year. I was indeed. You were there at Palace this year? I was indeed. Both, both Friday nights, both a chance for the media to dance a jig with the home fans at Arsenal's expense, but they didn't get what they came for this time. Compare and contrast, you guys were absolutely sensational, and I love that we got the second goal so that Patrick Vieira could get some love in a way that is not um, controversial, right? In a way that won't be seen as having any other hidden meaning. We just got to enjoy the night. You got to have a fun night out and then you got to celebrate an Arsenal legend. So versus the Brentford game, I mean, it goes without saying when you're starting your starters, you're going to play better, but all in all, uh, what's your take on opening night this season versus last? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because of all or nothing, we've uh, kind of relived the first night of last season and, and what you really see um, as well as the result being different, it's just how different the team is that night. Like that night, off the top of my head, Leno in goal, gone. Chambers at right back, gone. Mari at centre back, halfway out the building. Uh, Pepe started that night. Balogun started that night. You know, that that's half the team, literally half the starting eleven, completely different. Um, I think Kalasnach might have come on as a sub that night, gone. Like, a lot of change in a year. and And obviously... The results we got against Brentford last year and the result we got on Friday night at Palace, they are completely related to what we did in the respective summers or at least how quickly we did it. We were not ready for that Brentford game. Um, Fuller and Balogun was the striker, right? Yeah, yeah. He started through the middle um, that night. And obviously, like the Aubameyang and Lacazette COVID things, the fact that the, the game was in the balance a few hours before, that like didn't help. Um, Even but, Eddie was sick. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's like three first-choice strikers gone. And so this time, obviously, we didn't have those kind of curveballs, but we got our signings in, we got those done. And what we really saw, I think, was the value of that because this game, it's too much to say this game was won in the first 25 minutes. Um, It certainly wasn't in terms of the scoreline, but in terms of the intent, in terms of the tone, we were able to start this game on the front foot. And you could see the comparison between Arsenal's pre-season and Palace's pre-season because Palace took half an hour to get into the game. And that, I think, was a consequence of, first of all, it's a kind of economies of scale effect. On one hand, um, it was a little bit because Arsenal had a really good pre-season and were able to start on the front foot. But on the other, the other thing that was that, that really worked in our favour was that Palace 
did not have a good pre-season really, or at least they had a very disjointed one. They had a tour to Australia that they had to do because it was cancelled last year and they only took half the team there and, and you know, they, they're basically ticking some financial boxes um, in terms of honouring a contractual commitment. It wasn't the pre-season they wanted. They're going through a change as well because they haven't got Conor Gallagher anymore, so they're going to play Eze in his role. Obviously, really good player, and I think they will be fine with that, but very, very different type of player, not as pressy, not as off the ball. And so, you know, Palace, I, I wasn't surprised it took... In fact, I wondered if Palace would get into this game at all, let alone take half an hour. So I think the real value in it was Arsenal having a really solid pre-season, having their Palace starting lineup um, in both their last friendlies, and Palace not quite having that. Palace still sorting themselves out. I had a little look at, they played Montpellier in their last pre-season friendly, the same time we were playing Sevilla, and there was still a question about who's going to start up front between Cissé and Mateta. And, you know, they're still sorting out what they're doing instead of Conor Gallagher. And, you know, there were some question marks, basically. But I guess the other thing is what we saw maybe after that is some of the consequence of your pre-season being available everywhere. (laughs) You know, you're not a secret in pre-season. So Patrick Vieira, they wouldn't have been watching what we did in the last couple of games of last season. They'd They'd have been studying the Sevilla tape. They'd have been studying the Chelsea tape. That that's you know one of the, the I guess the downsides of preseason being everywhere. You're not a secret in the fir- on the first game of the season anymore. So maybe at your at absolute best you get your first half an hour, and Arsenal capitalised on that first half an hour. They scored the goal when they were on top, um, and and that allowed us that gave us the basis to go and win the game. So that was fantastic. And as as for the away fans, look. I know people were trepidatious about another Friday night away from home in London because they were, uh, you know, (laughs) seeing that connection to Brentford. If you go into the game, that's exactly what you want. You want Friday night in London, um, you know, people booking a half day um, so they can, you know, take their time and get to the stadium in good time, obviously. Um, you know, rather than rather than loading up on pints, um, you know, I, I <laughs> yeah. think I was I was at least six in uh, by the time the game started, <laughs> which is why you're not going to get great tactical nuance from me in this podcast. But yeah, it was it was it was great fun was had by all, and it's it's um it's a trauma from last season that we've ticked off, and it's not just plus three on the board, it's not just plus three, which was infinitely more points than we had in the first three games of last season. We're up three points on last season as as a symptom of winning a game that we lost and lost badly last year. So I think this was hugely valuable for everyone concerned. Yeah, I think when you have a great preseason, it takes one bad result to start the season for everyone to go, see, it was just preseason. What were we making a big deal out of? And that could be the case for the players as well, right? All the belief you build in a preseason can be washed away like a sandcastle um, overnight. And so getting a win away at a difficult place, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, probably heard them everywhere by now, but Palace, I think they were five home games with without conceding. Um, they had some fantastic record last season against the Big Six, especially at home, um, which is soon going to become a Big Seven and then a Big Ten and then the Big 20. And basically, then it's just your record against the Premier League. Um, good opposition, well-coached opposition, physical opposition. And if you just look around the league, Opening night away is tough, period. Opening day away is tough. Villa went to Bournemouth and got slapped. Fulham probably should have beaten Liverpool 
outplayed Liverpool to a draw at home, right? Leeds beat Wolves at home. It didn't work out for every home team. Hilariously, Manchester United is mentioned again. Um, And we might mention them again, or at least maybe later in the week. But the point is that it, it is a tough, tough time to go away to a hard place. That opening night and the energy and the fever pitch that's going on there. And to come out as strong as we did, I think speaks volumes for where we are. And and we are going to get to some of the warts in this game too, because obviously we did not play 90 sensational minutes. I don't know that that was ever on the cards for this game, but we should talk about why that happened and if there are ways we can improve it. But Clive, I, I definitely want to stay with the first, some would say 25 minutes. I, I, hey, Paul, I rewatched, okay? Woo-hoo. I actually think the first 42, 45 minutes were okay. And if you go to Scott's by the numbers column on Arsblog, you'll see that actually that that's borne out. Um, in that opening period, a lot of the things we tried to do in the preseason were working. But it's interesting. This was not a game for our midfield in general. When we were playing well early on, we pressed, we recovered the ball, we got it up to Martinelli and Jesus, and they were really influential. Zinchenko was really influential. Saliba was pinging passes. White was carrying it forward. But I think Palace all game did a really good job of, of choking off the midfield. In our good period, I think we found ways to, to get at them without the midfield. And then as it faded, that became more of an issue. So what do you think about that period where we were really on top because it was an electrifying bit of football and I don't think it really flowed through the midfield much? Me. It maybe didn't. Um, no. Oh, sorry. I, I said Clyde, but Paul, if you wanted. No, no, just, no, 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 no. If you, I, yeah, no. you sure? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I, will, I will give you a shot at this as well. How about we'll all, we'll all take a swing at this game. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't always flow for the midfield. And the reason is why risk versus reward, right? Lose the ball there and it's all over. Transition down the center. So you go down the sides, you look at ways to get down the sides. Or if you do go to the midfield, you go straight through it to Gabriel Jesus, who then flicks it around him to himself, which he's got the ability to do and run and run through. Or he flicks it to the sides and we have combination into our triangles and diamonds out wide. So I'm not too worried about it. Where the midfield were really good in the first phase were were counter-pressing, keeping the ball in an area. Yeah. And we played in their half. And so we're playing more in-the-half football. And that's the job. I think there were periods in the game when we were wanting to maintain control that I felt we were a little bit too uh, central overload orientated and forgot to stretch them on occasion to keep them off us. I thought our passing was too short. Short passing does maintain control, but if they start to get excited and step onto us, then I think that's a problem. You know, So um, so that was my view. So it, it, it was a battle for control. Um, there, are, there are things to improve in our centre mid, and I think that will come over time. Right? I don't want to take away what probably on your menu for later on with Odegaard, for example, but I'll leave that on the table for some, unless you want me to do it right now. <laughs> right? But, um, <laughs> but there, there's a few issues there. But also, you have to give Paddy some credit, right? Because we were absolutely like Brazil 82 for the first 25 minutes, half 35 minutes even, and they didn't get a sniff. And so, okay. Then we had a li- they got a little bit of encouragement from sort of Ramsdale's sort of diving boots feet at the back there for a couple of for a couple of moments, and we just they just got a little bit into it. But I think it's more us. It's more us at one nil. Uh, I did a rewatch too. I think one thing I will say is it was a game of territory, and if you watch the first minute, I think Palace did two diagonals straight into our right back slot. Bang. 
and they wanted to exit down there and gain territory and keep us in our half. What do we do? We do the same thing into their left-back slot, into, sorry, their right-back slot, and we go up through the middle, and we try to keep them in their half with pure counter-press and control. It's a game of territory. Everybody, everybody works out statistically that if you keep the ball away from your goal, you've got less chance of conceding. So both teams are trying to do the same thing, and we just did it better than them for 35, 40 minutes. And the power of diagonals, what I will try to explain to you guys, the power of diagonals, when you see the ball going continuous over your head, the natural tendency is to drop away. And that is it. And so the real tactical nuance was how Palace used their fullbacks to create a three, three-man back line to do what we like to do sometimes in first phase so they can get the ball out under no pressure. And I felt there's a few things there, particularly Anderson. We could have done better, but Elliot, if we do rewatch, yeah. I'll explain some of that to you. But um, we we will absolutely rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that was it for you. It's just a battle for control, of which everything. I know you got your eyes on that midfield, mate. I know you. Once you get a hook into something, you ain't going away. I know you got your eyes into that midfield, but <laughs> but what I will say is, it was just a battle for control. We won the game two 0 We weren't in control the whole game. I don't care. That's where I am with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the problem with like the rating system, right, where where you say, oh, what out of, oh, seven out of 10, six, is it like, it, games don't work that way because for about 25 minutes, all these players were having 10 out of 10s. For about 45 minutes, all these players had seven out of 10s. And for the next 45 minutes, they maybe got away with some five out of 10s. A few of them still shined, obviously. Um, and that's okay. But Paul, let's stay with the period of dominance for a bit because like, just because we didn't sustain it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And as we discussed, this was always going to be a difficult night. And I don't want to hand wave the issues that need to be fixed um, because some people will say, well, they're the same issues from last season, right? You start hot, you fade, you lose all the momentum in the game. It helps when you have the lead and when you find a way to get a second goal, as we did, those things matter, it turns out. But during the period of dominance, I thought Jesus and Martinelli just, just ran the show. Um, obviously, Martinelli misses the big chance. He scores the goal off a great set piece. There's one moment where the ball comes to him just beyond the top of the box, maybe like 20 yards out, and he's he's pinned by two defenders behind him, and he spins out of it in between them and goes and gets it away to Zinchenko and creates a, a chance, and it's like he was just on it. When he dropped into midfield, he was able to keep the ball, turn away, and get us going up the pitch. I, I loved seeing it because... He had a hot preseason. We were hoping he'd get off to a hot start. I think getting the goal, especially after missing a sitter, will help continue that. And you know Jesus was great because the media, the punditry, were giving him huge praise in a game where he didn't have a goal and assist. And usually that doesn't happen. You either score and get it or you don't score and don't get it. So you want to maybe wax lyrical a little bit about those two in particular during that that opening phase because I thought they, they really caught the eye. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, like... Uh, Jesus was just electric isn't enough. He, 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 he wove his way through the middle of that midfield and gave them massive insecurities, which um, his, you see a real relationship with him and Martinelli in particular. Uh, They're just on a wavelength that works with each other. And, you know, we'll talk about Odegaard, later on and we'll talk you know Saka in in some ways was a little quieter less dominant than you might think he might be based on last season I what occurred to me was that whole left side of the the pitch is doing what our right side of the pitch did for most of last season Uh, the right side was where all the ticky tacka clever build-up was um 
But Ben White had his hands full, obviously, with Zaha. Um, and so I don't think there was the same support on the right-hand side that we saw on the left with Zinchenko, uh, Chaka. Um, Gabriel Jesus, maybe it's just my eye, seems to swing to that side of the bit, pitch to make connections. Obviously, he can go either side, but certainly in this game, when I looked at his touch map, he was kind of left side of the pitch oriented. So you had uh, four players, a pod, as uh, Clive would say, on that side of the pitch, connecting, making things happen, which is all good. Like it, it leaves us open for a switch to the other side. Now, we didn't do much of that in this game. Um, but I really think that's why those were the players who were where the things were happening, where the chances were coming. Um, it's pretty electric first 25 minutes. I think comparing it to last season to say it's the same issues as before, not for me, because last hmm. season okay. we played in bursts of maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> and <laughs> the other thing we've got to remember is uh, this is our first non-preseason game, the level of intensity. Like if we had chatted about this game beforehand, we'd say, well, we're not going to play like that for 90 minutes, but we'd expect a good solid period of play. And we pretty much got one. We got 28 minutes before the momentum changed a little bit. And it's not like we went, we stopped playing. It just suddenly they were in the game. And it was, it was kind of back and forth, much more even. Um, but, I think I saw something in that 20... Like, I was a big proponent of when it clicked last year, it clicked. This is a different level. What what Gabriel Jesus did and the boys uh, in that first 25 minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're up a level. The preseason was that real thing from the preseason. You can throw away lots from the preseason, but that thing was mm. a thing. And yeah. they were having conniptions. And look... Even Jesus gets to tire a little bit. And I think in particular, Zinchenko got to tire a little bit. Um, he he must have been there thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> they put me on the team sheet as a full back, but I don't really have to full back. I'm, I'm playing in midfield, just like at Manchester City. I'm up the pitch. <laughs> I'm in the, you know, it's like uh, that old Arsenal's gone. And then suddenly it's like, oh shit, I'm really actually going to have to do fullback. And he has to do that for a solid 50 minutes. And I think he was pretty feckin' knackered by the time he got off playing both ways. Like, uh, although he plays the same position, he thought he was going to be cancelloing this, this whole game. And mm -hmm. after about 28 minutes, he found out that Arsenal isn't city and we can't, we can't maintain that dominance for, for 90 minutes and yeah like he was a tired tired boy on that side and i think that was that that side of the pitch is a really interesting dynamic yeah yeah i mean it, I, it is yeah, please please come right back i, on I just wanted to to add on that as well i actually i usually don't really watch man city i did watch them on sunday and paul to your point i mean it was so dull um, to watch and, and I aspire for Arsenal to become that dull for the neutral and like <laughs> I was watching them away at West Ham again same like very similar type of fixture um, you know away at West Ham first game of the season West Ham had a good season last year and they like absolutely killed it and like I tweeted something about if you're commentating on a Man City game have a lot of anecdotes in your back pocket because there's <laughs> there's like you could get through a stand up routine commentating on City you could you could road shop you could workshop some material there cuz like there's nothing to say for large parts of the game and and yeah to your point that that's obviously what we're aspiring aspiring to that like 
boa constrictor, but we only got it for a third of the game this time. Yeah, well, Tim, look, during that period where we were dominant, I, I again, if I'm going to say that the the midfield wasn't super involved. I think it's because our press was working, but also there were other players that were able to get the ball into the, the hurtful spaces. And I actually think Zinchenko, Zinchenko had, to, to Paul's point, a sort of weird night because he was really, really important during that early period. Once he stopped getting on the ball and stopped getting the ball forward, I think the other things we talked about when we signed him, some of the, let's say, things in his game that he can improve, 1v1 defending, you know, those things started to show up. And right before Tierney comes on, he had gotten roasted, and I think it was time. But one of the reasons we didn't need the midfield as much is we were getting some really good distribution from the back. And that leads to a conversation that I'm going to move a little higher up than I was inclined to have it because I think it's just such a big part of the discussion around this game, and that's the performances of William Saliba and Ben White in particular. William Saliba is still a young player a young player we did not deem ready to be in the Premier League last season. So this is a big step up, a big test. He's starting opening night in a cauldron, away, in front of the world. And he looked like not just that his quality level was there, but that he could lead the back line. His his calmness, his comfort level. And I have to admit, I'm cribbing this a little bit from Andrew on the Arscast, but it was something that was in my mind too. There are certain defenders who are good, but the way they defend transmits a, a, a nervousness or a skittishness just stylistically. But the way he covers ground, there, there's one moment where it looks like a player is going to get in behind him, and I don't remember which player it is. And he turns on the Jets, and he just sort of glides into the position to shoulder him out of the play, and actually it winds up with the player fouling him, um, and we get the free kick. There is a comfort level to the way he approaches defending that I think if I were playing next to him, I'd be like, this guy's got it. I got nothing to worry about. I'm curious how you felt watching Saliba back there really control the back line, distribute from deep, and, and make what I thought was a, a five-star debut for Arsenal. Yeah, th- this for me, this was a great way to see his debut because um, I was pissed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and because Selhurst Park is the, is the in terms of view the worst away end in the league by quite a long way you can't see very much so like you go a lot on vibes when you're playing away at Palace and and you know recently they've been very vibesy games right they they're not like tactically particularly sophisticated games and so you know you're looking at you're looking for vibes because you can't see 50% of the pitch and you're right, Saliba just transmits that vibe to you. And when you play Palace as well, what you're doing on the right side of your defence is super important because that's where Zaha plays and that's where 90% of their game plan is right there. That's the that's the little corridor they're coming into. And that's why I think Saliba also looked quite good because, first of all, he's in probably the busiest part of the pitch That's because that's where Zaha is going to stand. It's... Ben White and Saliba, you guys are the one that are going to have the busy nights. And to your point about Zinchenko, there was a point just before he came off where he got burned on the right. And I was a bit like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Zaha doesn't play on the right because I think that otherwise Zinchenko would. And, and by the way, just like um, a, a side comment on that. To be fair, like I know it was only a few minutes. I thought the Tierney for Zinchenko sub made a huge difference. I and absolutely agree. 
It did. Yeah, and probably for me mentally, I wasn't all the way at the kind of well. Tierney's redundant now; like he's on the way out. You know, that's that's the end of Tierney. It's Zinchenko now, and and but I was probably like traveling to the bus stop en route to that particular take. And I think what I saw was actually, yeah, when we were dominating the ball in the first half, I thought Zinchenko was one of our best players. But when we weren't, we needed Tierney. And one of the things I've probably forgot about Tierney is what a good defender he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he can play centre-back for a reason. It's because he's a good defender. Um, and actually what we've got there now is optionality, either to make a change like that from the bench or had Tierney been fitter, for example, we might have been able to say, look, Today we're not going to have seventy percent of the ball. We're going to play Tierney because he can he can handle that. Whereas you know next week at Leicester at home, yeah, we're going to have sixty percent of the ball. We'll play Zinchenko, but on, on Saliba, um, yeah, like on on in one respect, there's an opportunity in a game like this for your right sided centre back to be the hero because of the way Palace play. I also think that um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about Ben White's performance. I, I thought he was really good. That was my impression in the stadium. Again, take that with a pinch of salt because one thing you can't see <laughs> is either touchline really um, mm. from from the away end. But I thought the relationship between Saliba and White was really good. And if there's one game where having two ostensibly centre halves next to each other on that side of the pitch is a good idea, it's Palace because you've got yeah. two natural defenders in there. Um, taking care of Zaha but uh, you know to the vibes point there there are just some players you your temperature your heart rate goes down there are some attackers for example they go through on goal and you go yeah they're going to score some midfielders Kazola for example takes the ball under pressure and you just go not not only am I comfortable but I'm actually I'm looking forward to seeing how the opposition try to get the ball off him and it's it's the same with defenders. There are some defenders, the ball is played into space and you just think, yeah, he's got it. It's fine. Like, I, I'm, I'm not worried here. I'm not worried about him diving in, not worried about him losing a foot race. I'm not worried about him getting shouldered off the ball. Um, you know, he, he he's obviously not a perfect defender yet, but for the type of game Palace play, and by the way, the type of game lots of teams are playing, Clive was talking about, you know, going wide. Loads of teams are doing that at the moment, not because pressing is such a big thing in the Premier League now. It's it's no coincidence that this weekend you saw Nunez, uh, Mitrovic um, and players like that have a really good weekend. Like those type of strike Holland, those type of strikers are coming back because teams either want to go over the top of your press or they want to go down the sides. And who who was the team who had a bad time at home this weekend? To your point, Elliot, United. What were they doing up front? They played Christian Eriksen as a false nine. Like that's yep. not really cutting it in the Premier League at the moment because teams are going wide and they want to get the ball in. Um, and and that's obviously exactly what Palace tried to do. So it, it was a big test for Saliba. Um, and I'm I'm going to pair him and White. I do think the relationship between the two was very, very important. But also, if you're a defender, obviously you think about the game in the opposite direction. You think, like, how do I look good today? And you can look at it two ways. You can either go, oh, fuck, this is going to be difficult. Or you can look at it and go, the ball's going to come to my area loads. I, like, I could win man of the match here. Like, Gabriel's not going to win man of the match. Zinchenko's not going to win man of the match. Me or Ben White, we can win man of the match. And that's what he did. Yeah, well said. Um, I don't, I don't want to leave you 
either of you, any of you, any of us, any of this crew, this wonderful crew of intelligent people who have so much to say out of the Saliba Ben White discussion. And Clive, it because it was opening night and I really wanted to soak this up, I, I tried to stay offline as much as I could and just really watch the game and really just be in it because I was so excited for this season and I continue to be so excited for this season, thankfully. Um, and that means that I wasn't exposed to any of the contrary views to the things I think. And it's interesting how you watch a game and you think things, and then you encounter people who think different things. And you're like, why do these idiots think different things than me? And I get why are these arguments happen, because you assume the way you saw it had to be right. But one thing I saw was Crystal Palace's best player not have any joy against a center back playing right back. And that that's a little cheeky of me because Ben White isn't just a center back playing right back. He played right back a lot of the preseason. He's playing in a position in that two, three, five buildup. That's a little more of an inside position. That's something similar to what he did at Brighton. So it's not like he was just playing on the moon, but he was good. And he, he, he brought the ball into dangerous areas and he kept Zaha quiet. And yeah, once he picked up the yellow card, I think it got a little trickier for him, but by and large comparing how Zaha roasted Cedric, who we love, of course, dear, dear friend Cedric. But, you know, and with the performance we got out of Ben White, I don't see any reason to be critical of the guy. I, I accept that there are people that didn't see it as a good Ben White performance. For me, Clive, it's right there with Saliba, in part because of the job he had to do when he did it. So um, I don't have a much higher level analysis than that, but I, I thought that that the way he handled what was the most difficult job on the pitch for us was really quite brilliant. Yep, and he was a guy that was picked to mark their best player and he came out of it with eight tackles and and Zaha was going home with a sad face right so it was felt unconcerned he solidified us um I, I don't look at Ben White as a uh, a stick on right back as in because he's not Hector Bellerin is he? he's not Cedric he's much more Nathan Aki you think about Nathan Aki the role he plays at Man City sometimes he starts left back he rolls around to a three into into defense you think of him Nathan Aki and and we've just got our Diaz in Saliba, right? The the guy who's the rock potentially. You know, yeah. I'm I'm being a bit flippant with my comparisons there, just mm. to make people aware. And I noticed in preseason game there were people sitting next to me having a go at Ben White. I'm thinking you're just not looking at this right. You know, we need that stability player there, very similar to Tomiyasu, who also plays centre back, a stability guy that knows how to defend one on one. Now the thing is, Ben White is very front footed. He naturally wants to go and get the ball. Now he's got license to go steaming in. And he can obviously transition, he can carry it distances. So rather than carrying it through one line before he gets to the midfield, he's already got the ball one line up. If he gets it, he could drive it right towards their back four. That will come. In the preseason game against Sevilla, he did a lovely switch play. He tried two switches in this game and they went wrong early in the first half. I think some people will look at that and say, oh, he's no good at fullback. He did a he did a great job. I was so glad that Lewis picked him as a stock rising because that showed a level of real intelligence to see what was actually going on in the game. Sometimes you need to say to somebody, just do a job, minimalize his impact. It's not about his overall performance, it's about his influence and impact to our team's performance. And I thought he did a great job of doing that. And I and I don't see this as a situation that needs to change that much. I think if he wants to play half the season there, that's fine by me because I think we're a really good team for it. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the performance, and I think people need to adjust their perceptions about what a fullback is now in the modern game. You know, I think um, 
You know, John Stones played fullback for Man City last year, and you wouldn't see him as a fullback. Ben White's obviously done it for England as well. And as you as you noted, Elliot, when he first came, actually, we were wondering if he could play in a in a centre back too. Remember that fifty million pounds? Mm-hmm. Can he play in a centre back too? When he dispelled that every month. Right, so now he's playing on the three, <laughs> stroke four. We're now questioning him again. It's all down to how he walked in the room. Fifty million quid, and people are wondering, is he is he that good? Well, I think he's very very good. And at twenty four, there's much more to come. Much more. Should mention we just lost Tim, by the way, internet issues, so he will not be here for the rest of the episode. Which means, um, obviously, it will improve dramatically. So, you know, uh, so a win. A loss, flawed performance, but still get the result. You know, it all, life imitating art, you get it. Anyway, Paul, your thoughts on the white Saliba thing? Yeah, so, um, look, Saliba, he's just got a comparison to Diaz. You know, the vibe he gives off, I'm not going to compare him tactically or in terms of what he can or whatever do. Um, He just gives off to me VVD vibes. Um, There's a certain... He's got a sense so much of his own control of a situation that he looks completely unflustered, invites the press. James on the Arscast has talked a few times about how he tends to almost welcome a player to come on to him so he can uh, commit that player and then embarrass him or play around him or just take a guy out of the game to free up somebody else. Um, There's a very gentle young, building confidence and arrogance about the guy that I absolutely love. I think he's been fantastic. Fantastic. Superb. Superb. Super magnifique. Magnifique. Yes. Solide. <laughs> um, he's been great. And like when you think about this game, you think, well, there's a guy they're going to target. 21-year-old, first game in the Premier League. I think Patrick Vieira knows way too much about him to have made that mistake. The whole Good point, yep. You know, they played in the same leagues. He knows everything about this guy. And, you know, they targeted Ben White's side because Zaha's over there, not because Ben White was weak. Um, And, like, what a combo that was for handling things. And that, like, it turned out not to be a significant tackle, but... There was the time Zaha beat Party, who went in on a sliding tackle, and he hopped over him. And, like, Saliba just had that number there, came sliding in, cleared it. There was the his tackle in the penalty box, solid and assured, cleared the guy out and cleared the ball out. Um, he was just – he was everywhere he needed to be. He was. He was co- confident. They were pinging it over the back to the corners, and he never looked caught out. Um, Gabriel had a little bit of a dicier game for Gabriel, but those are two very, very solid center backs that you don't come at. Uh, that, that won't be your plan A if you're looking for a weakness. And I thought that was a huge part of a game. You know, Tim talked about, um, how he tactically, he couldn't see that much with this game because Palace and the vibes. But what was interesting about Vieira he was asked before the game whether not having had a proper preseason would men- mean his team hadn't really gelled and glued, and if he was concerned about that, and maybe he was just maybe just this is just his attitude to football matches that you don't make excuses. But he said pretty convincingly to me that it wasn't a concern for him mm. that this was the kind of game 
where it was more about energy and intent. I'm paraphrasing, but energy intensity and being physical. And I think it was uh, uh, Gary Neville made a joke about how you mean you're planning to kick them all over the park. And they both had a bit of a laugh. And Gary yeah. Neville was making was making the joke that that's what they used to do to Patrick Vieira. But basically, they weren't going to have a super tactical game. They were going to palaces, basically. The, the, the palace plan for Arsenal, the classic one, and they were big and physical and aggressive. And so I don't think that part of it mattered too much. But you saw how this played out as we tired a little bit and they kind of found their mojo and they got physical and it was uh, if we thought we were going to waltz through this one for 90 minutes i think we were deluded i think this was probably for a first game of the season after preseason getting your energy we're not fully fit yet we're not fully match fit and if a few of these yeah. players have never had to do this and i think our our defense uh, especially over those three and having party and Chaka in the middle um, was the difference between this by a long way and last season's encounters with Palace. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting too, Clive, because to some extent, both teams bypassed the midfield. And one thing that we did really well, like I have to admit, right on my first watching the Ramsdale errors, kicking, out from the back stuck out in my mind and frustrated me because I felt that they turned momentum towards Palace. But on rewatching, that was more of a narrative that I built than reality. That didn't really happen. Um, they did put us under pressure. Um, and one of the Ramsdale kicking errors, to be fair, goes right to Gabriel, who doesn't need to give it away. He then gives it away and we're under pressure. So it's not a straight line to a Ramsdale error. But the thing I did pick up on second watching is Ramsdale was pinging some passes, man, in that first half. Holy cow. I mean, there was sidewinder kicks out to Zinchenko on the touchline and finding Martinelli running away. And he clips one over an onrushing attacker to white out on the right touchline. And Ramsdale's distribution combined with our pressing meant that we were bypassing midfield and Palace were bypassing midfield. I mean, no one was going through there. And, and I think this is sort of the story of the game. Early on, our press and our long passing had them beat out. And then as the game wore on, their defenders like Anderson really got on the ball and managed to distribute around our pressure and and find their their attackers in space or, or running at us and push us back. So that was sort of interesting because I think both teams took kind of the same approach to getting out of their back line. But in terms of Ramsdale and, and just the way we moved the ball up the pitch. Were you struck by the fact that we we didn't really play through the midfield that much early on, that that we did use Ramsdale's passing and some directness through like Zinchenko, for example, to get out from their press and get going? Yeah, I'm, we need to have a sit down about your midfield thoughts in a moment. <laughs> Something's in your head that I need to extract. Well, because let's, let's, go back. Let's, let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Okay, okay. All right, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. You go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what what do we always do? We have wide pods, right? We have wide pods and we have a base pod and we have a a center forward and and we connect inside. We've done that for about eight months now, right? So people don't go through the midfield down the middle too often unless Thomas Partey wants to flick a ball through to Odegaard or Jesus stroke Lacazette, right? So, So this is how I saw the game, right? So Crystal Palace played 56 long passes. Now, I'm not sure where that sits in the realms of things data-wise, but that feels a lot to me, 
That feels a lot. Yeah. If by contrast, we paid around thirty. Well, around I'm looking at it, thirty-seven, right? So around so thirty-seven, that, somewhere yeah, in that neighborhood. <laughs> somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Someone just to leave ourselves a wiggle room in case someone says thirty-six, Clive, thirty-six, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell us what sort of game it is. So, what are you looking for then, right? Because of those fifty-six passes. 28 were successful. So that means there's a lot of passes that weren't successful that which we cleaned up and tidied up. So what are you looking for then? You're looking for the ability to regain, retain possession. You know where I was going earlier. Regain, retain possession. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to critique the midfield, it's what we did on the edge of our area once we'd won it and it comes into their feet, then the next pass is really important to get us through. And I felt too many times... We were sloppy around our edge area, which which made sure we had to stay in there to take the next wave of attack or give away a throw-in or right. give away a corner because we did not retain the ball with the relevant quality and they were giving us the ball and we were dealing with it, but we weren't retaining it. And I promise you, look at the second goal. Once we won it, retained it, played the six, seven, eight passes, we're in, mate, and we score. We didn't retain the ball for me enough. We didn't get to the right passing numbers. And then we settled into a pattern and said, all right, we're not really playing well here. Let's just see what they've got. Right? So we dropped deeper and deeper and deeper, which gave them a false level of control. Two big chances. That's all they had. We go home, get on the coach, and decide what we're going to have to eat. Right? So that's it. And I, and I do feel there was an issue there with, and I will say it with Hodegaard, his ability to retain under pressure. And I haven't looked at Shaq in particular, if I'm honest with it. So I've got Odegaard in my mind because he's so good at that. He cleans the ball. The ball comes in. He wipes it clean. It comes out whenever he's ready. Perfect timing to somebody on the move going forward. He's got 360 vision. And if he can't move it, he gets a foul. He does that so well. But on this day, I didn't feel he did. You know, And I think it cost us flow, cost us momentum, cost us control, cost us a few chances we normally would have had because we're very good at transitioning, you know, particularly this new bloke called Martinelli on the left-hand side who's just mm. flying and, and is discovering himself like we all did. We were young once, discovering ourselves. We can actually <laughs> live. We can live as adults in this world and we're quite good, you know, and, um, and he's having that moment right now. So for me, our ability to win it, keep it, three, four passes, flow through was not as good as it normally is because of a few couple of subpar performances. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And like, I did watch Shaka quite a bit um, on, on the rewatch because I was curious to see. And and this is the thing, as you say, Clive, you never arrive, right? You never arrive. You're always trying to get better. You're always trying to improve. You, ne- you never arrive. And so if you never arrive, then you have to say, well, where's the next Where's the next place that this project can go bang, right? Where's the next thing that we can improve? And I, we knew going into the summer, left eight was an area we might be able to improve. And we saw during preseason that left eight was being handled quite admirably and, and quite effectively by Shaka. And so I think there was naturally just a lot of curiosity about whether that was an indication of, of, of how it was going to be during the season. It's really funny. The steam must be coming off his brain when he's playing right now because there's one moment in the first half where he's standing on the penalty spot waiting for a sack of cutbacks, screaming that he didn't get the ball for a tap-in. There's other moments where he's literally alongside Thomas Party trying to play the intermediate value passes to get us up the pitch. There are times he's outside of Zinchenko playing in the defensive left-back position. 
He's obviously got a lot of responsibilities in this positional system, and it's a lot to process. And sometimes I think when you have so much that you are responsible for in terms of where you have to be in a system, you're thinking your way through a game, right? And that that can be hard. There is a moment. It's at 17 minutes and 50 seconds, roughly. About 45 seconds earlier or a minute earlier, he'd given the ball away badly. And I wonder if that's in his head. But there's a moment where he gets on the ball at 17 minutes and 50 seconds, and the Palace defensive line is a mess. It's completely broken. Their left back has dropped way too deep, and their center backs are pushed up, and there's probably eight yards between them distance-wise. And Gabriel Jesus is just in acres of space with no ability for Palace to play offside. And Shaka looks at him, and he sees the run, and he turns around and he gives it laterally. And I wonder if it's because that... That, that was a human a, rights violation that he didn't was, <laughs> give Gabrielle the ball. Clive, Clive, come back real quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I tell you what, it's funny you should say that because and and the way you phrase that question was really really good because players have this in their head can, drilled in. I I call it debit and credit, right? So you start off your game with zero, and if you give away a, a bad pass, I always say to players that I'm aware of. If you give away two bad passes, make sure number three goes to one of our players for you. Don't get too much into debit with me. Get back into credit quickly by making sure the next pass goes to your feet. Interesting, and yeah. I felt Shaka yeah. felt he was in debit and he thought, I can see a pass there, but you know what? I've just given away a dumb pass, so I'm going to make sure I keep it. You know, And that is yeah. yep. that is just football, mate. And, and, I, and I saw that and smiled to myself. Now, the coach got to say to him, I don't care if you give five passes away. We've got a different centre forward now. You need to play to him. And I think there's a couple, there's one other thing with the centre forward I want to highlight tactically, which I saw today. I think we have to work out something with him. So when the ball goes into Lacazette, chaps, when the ball goes into him, we know the pace by which he's coming out. We know what he can do and what he can't do. So we can make our movements to his ceiling, shall we say. I don't think we know Jesus' ceiling yet because there are times when the ball goes into him, he can just knock it off, get it back, knock it off really quite you know, conservative. And there are other times he turns. Oh, he's not just turning. He's accelerating the play significantly. So he plays with gears. And that acceleration of the play, we have to read really quickly to know when he's going. And there's something, another phrase called fast support. How can I fast support him very quickly? Zoom in like an arrow, straight in around him to give him fast support because he's got, he can do a lot of stuff really quick. And so that reading of the acceleration of the play is something Odegaard's got to learn, Saka's got to learn in particular, because Martinelli's learned it. He has got it. Yeah. There's something going on there. He's got it. He wants to have those gears. He can accelerate quickly. So Odegaard and Saka, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that for this game. I'm sure they would. I watched a preseason game. I wasn't saying this. So, But I'm telling you, reading the acceleration is a general point. If we do that well, we're going to make this kid... Jesus even better because he's he's brilliant. He's really brilliant. Yeah, the number of runs and good runs that he makes, and I don't mean runs from the halfway line even. I mean runs when we have deep possession. They can't track him. Look at how many times in the first 20 minutes he's getting the ball right channel, left channel, inside the box. The touches in the box stats for the first 40, 45 minutes or so are bananas, and a lot of those touches are Gabriel Jesus getting the ball in the channels and like, I think that's why it's going to be even more important that our eights get in the box. It's why I think Odegaard didn't have the best game. Shaka didn't have the best game because 
I, I don't think either of them provided the high value work that we need from our eights given the runs that were there and the availability of opportunities. This wasn't a game for our midfield. It's just, it, you know, if I want to say everything we did great during the great periods, it's Saliba, it's White, it's Martinelli, it's Jesus, it's Zinchenko. If I want to say the things that didn't go right in this game, it's just the connection to the midfield. I thought early on, to be fair, I thought Party played well. They did a nice job trapping him out of the game and saying, find another way to play through the press. And when he wasn't available, I don't think Odegaard found a way to get in there and be available or or Shaka. And so where does it go? It goes out to the touchline. It's easy to press the ball away from the touchline. And the one thing I saw us do a little bit, and this is the difference between preseason and regular season. Preseason, they're pressing the crap out of you. You do Cruyff turns. You do one touch. Boom, boom, boom. Up the pitch. Ha, ha, ha. It's all fun. When you're protecting a lead away in a raucous environment and it's the Premier League, you hoof it. And we hoofed it a bit too much. There were times when we brought the ball down under very little pressure and didn't have the confidence to turn and play. We hoofed it or we played it backwards. And I do think that that's just that Arteta is going to have to get with them on the video and say, look, guys, these situations you faced against Palace are the same ones you faced against Chelsea and Seville in Sevilla in the preseason. In that game, you pinged three passes together and you were up the pitch. In this game, you let the moment get to you a little bit. And that's understandable, right? And we got the result, though, by the way, so who cares? But I think as the season goes on and they normalize to the stress and the emotion of the Premier League, they will trust their game. The interesting thing is I watched the Brighton United game. We talk a lot about how our system is very Manchester City. I think there's a lot of Brighton in our system, too, a lot of what Potter does. Because, Clive, you you identified this, but there is a diamond. We play a midfield diamond. Even still without Lacazette, it's party at the base, it's Odegaard and Shaka in the middle, and it's Gabriel Jesus making the point of the diamond. And then, boom, out wide, you've got Saka and Martinelli. And sometimes it switches with the with the fullbacks forming those two in the middle. That's when we build from deep. That's not, you know, and, and there's still the 2-3-5 at times. I definitely see it. But there's definitely some, some, some wide diamond stuff happening in there as well. It gives you a lot of passing options. The interesting thing is, as I rewatched this game and looked at Palace's press, we let the press get to us. But there were options. We just didn't really take them. And I do wonder if that was just the players feeling the moment and choosing to be safe, Paul, instead of playing it. And I'm, it, it gave me encouragement, right? Because I'm saying your distances are right. You're available. There's options there. You just need to take the option. But they didn't. And, and I, I'm, I'm choosing to believe that as they get comfortable with the Premier League being back, the the fact that they're in positions to be available will start to be an option they'll take. Do you think that's a fair read, though, that that we, for one reason or another, didn't have the comfort level playing in the tight spaces, and so we didn't, and that allowed Palace to get more control of the game? Yeah, for sure. I think as the team feels its oats through the season, they'll expand into better positions to give better options out. Uh, there's There was physical and mental fatigue creeping into this game. Um, and weirdly, when we made our substitutions, they weren't exactly perfect substitutions for how we were about to attack, and yet they were, right? Suddenly, we had Tierney upfield in some weird-ass uh, forward attacking position available to win a header. Gasp. Yeah. Something, we, you know, Ramsdale didn't have that option, but he sees Tierney, who's just in a previous passage of plays, overlapped Martinelli carrying the ball and he stays ahead and Martinelli stays back. And Kieran Tierney is our most attacking player on the, the 
they're sitting on their high line and he pings it up to him and Tierney wins a header and knocks it down. And that's that's the linchpin. And, and in fact, building up to that is a few wall passes up the pitch, then down the pitch through Chaka, back to Ramsdale, I think it is. Then Ramsdale looks up and then the the connecting passes on the on the other way, Tierney wins a header because he has the energy. He's up for it. Like, yep. He doesn't come in to win that header. He's in position. He's charged. He's ready to go. Eddie picks it up and drives it across field. Um, that injection of energy, that that positivity they brought because they weren't tired, they weren't fatigued. Suddenly, we went through them, and so I think there's um, the re- the referees are refereeing differently. And that was talked about beforehand, and we saw it in in this game. We saw it in the rest of the games this this weekend. Palace were able to be very, very like I like it. I like the way it was played, and like there were a couple of moments in our box where, if they'd really wanted to give a soft penalty, we might have been in some trouble. There were two or three really, really soft penalty situations that they didn't even look at, which I think is excellent. On the other hand, it allowed their defenders, their midfielders to be super aggressive and to throw our players around, which is fine. It's just very bloody fatiguing if you're Gabriel Jesus. I mean, he wasn't quite the same player after about 30 minutes that he had been up to last. I I sort of agree, but I also think like sometimes moments that don't come off create narrative because like if Martin Odegaard just takes a freaking shot with his right foot. Yeah. Or... If his cutback finds Martinelli, and look, the shot is the right idea, but the cutback is on if he can make it happen, then we are praising Gabriel's. What, what minute was that when Martin Odegaard misses? That was 59 minutes. Okay, so on 59 what, minutes. What I would say, remember that he's just had a halftime break and his batteries are somewhat recharged Fair and enough. Gabriel well, Jesus goes again. Right, but what, what I'll say, though, if you remember how, how that chance comes apart, comes around, this is what I love about Jesus. We think of yeah. him as just being like a more skillful center forward, but he chases a complete lost cause long ball against two Palace defenders when we've and been hemmed him. in. Yeah. He, he mugs them, gets the ball, and finds a defense-splitting pass into the box into Odegaard. And I heard on the Arscast, Andrew was saying that pass could have been a little bit better to set Odegaard up for the shot. I mean, okay, fair enough. I still think take the shot the rebound goes to martinelli it's a tap you never know what ha- you take a shot from seven yards out one v one with the keeper with your right foot and you strike it solidly on target i, I you know i think you you know the, the expression you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket well there was all that but, talk before the season started about taking those shots in the box right even yep. when it's on your wrong foot and this was the classic fucking leather it leather doesn't it, matter it's leather, on your wrong yeah 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 that that's one to just leather it, and you've got you've got support. So if it re, you know rebounds off to Martinelli, maybe you get a tap in. Anyway, my, my point there is just to say that we got a lot from Jesus, and in, in a way, by the end, sure. I, look, I thought the subs could have come a little earlier. Yep, I think it's telling about where we are as a squad that with five subs available, we made two when we made them with ten minutes to go in the game. And to and but, I what's really admit, interesting, as I watched. It, mm-hmm. can, could I add on yep. that when we made the subs? I thought it was fairly even in the second half. I didn't like it being even because I wanted it, that's nervous making because they could easily have scored. But I thought it was pretty evening, even except the four minutes before the subs. Suddenly, it might even be like three minutes. There's just a burst where they've got us on the rack, and like I th- I do think we left it too long, and we hit the they- ripcord. But there's tr- th- I there's this whole thing about um, they've done studies on pain management. If you do 10 minutes of, say, pain at 
eight out of 10 and you do a survey of people afterwards and ask them how bad it was uh, and compare them to a group where you, they have the same pain for 10 minutes and then you give them an extra three minutes of pain, but at a lower level and ask them, say ask them who, had, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the guys who had more pain, but the last bit was at a lesser level. Conversely, this the second half wasn't so bad, but the four minutes before we made the subs, we were shitting ourselves. Zinchenko was in all sorts yes. of trouble. I think Palace did us a favor in a way. Zaha is their star man. So they tried to get Zaha isolated on white and it didn't really come off for them most of the game. Had they gone after Zinchenko most of the game, they might've had more joy and they kind of figured that out. And then he was starting to get roasted and we made the change. Look, we needed an injection of new blood and your business may need an injection of new blood. I think that is obvious. And if your business does need an injection of new blood, then you need to use the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And that is, indeed, instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, indeed, to hire a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find talent faster through great time-saving tools like instant match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job according to Indeed data. Look. We have told you about Instant Match. You know all about Instant Match. We told you about virtual interviews. You know all about virtual interviews. But you don't know about assessments. And I have to admit that this feature, when they told me about it, this one, this is the one. Because the thing that I think stinks when you're looking for a job is being like, how do they know I'm the right candidate? How can I stand out? How can I show them I have the right skills? And if you're hiring, you're like, yeah, it's just a resume. Resumes don't really tell you what you need to know. But with assessments, there's over 135,000 assessment tests ranging from cooking to coding. And you can have these assessment tests out there so that the candidates can prove themselves before the interview, right? So I'm a candidate and I say, oh, I'm going to take the assessment test. I'm going to crush it. And they're going to know I'm a good candidate. So I'm going to get into the interview already with a little sense of being the right person for the job and vice versa. As an employer, you can say, I feel, I feel good that I'm interviewing the right candidates. I'm not wasting their time. We're not wasting our time. With Indeed assessments, you can select for the skills that matter most to you. Add from a selection of over 100 hard and soft skills to test your job post and hone in on candidates with the right skills faster. Indeed assessments can even give you a window into how candidates will be on the job. On average, applicants who scored highly proficient or higher on the reliability assessment were nearly eight times more likely to consistently attend work according to Indeed data, meaning they're a fit for you, you're a fit for them. So, Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer good for limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms of condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed Clive! Is that enough of that? <laughs> Indeed. Got it. Um, Clive. I do want I, I, this, this game is so interesting to me because I watched it and then I watched it again. Yeah, I, I, I wish you hadn't watched it. You've seen too much, and I wish you hadn't I've watched it. You've seen, you've seen too much, and you've got these got things in your head, and it's like, okay, here we go. All right, let's roll it back. Let's roll it back to, to to Granite Shaka and and the midfield in general. This was not a good Odegaard game. This mm. was not a good Granite Shaka game. Those things can mm. be true, and we can love both those not players. So we can sure. love the team. Mm. Okay, here's what I would say. I think the reason that there's a, a discussion forming around Granite Shack is this way, right? Thomas Party wasn't great. We know Thomas Party's a great player. Martin Odegaard wasn't great. We know Martin Odegaard is a great player. Granite Shack wasn't great. We know he's a good player, but we went into the summer feeling left eight was an area for improvement. You you felt that way. We've discussed it at length. Who's the left eight? Can we get a left eight? Is Vieira the future left eight? Is Smithrow? 
This was our first, and, and we praised him in preseason and said, Granite Shaka is doing the left eight. Let's be open-minded that he could be the guy. This was our first time seeing him under the lights in that position this season. And he left enough meat on the bone for discussion to say that, you know, that area for me is still is still an area to upgrade. Now, it's harsh because the whole midfield was well shut down by Palace. They played over it. We played around it. And so they all sort of struggled to find their place in it. But I, I am curious how you look at that vis-a-vis the fact that we spent most of the summer saying that's a position that could potentially use an upgrade. And again, you, Clive, you never arrive. This isn't, he's bad, so we're bad. This is, where's our next step up to be a more potent team generally. And that's that's a position we're looking at. Yeah, so the role he tends to play, I, I, I think Shaka was fine, by the way. And, and without, yep. but I've been trying to retire him from playing in army field for two years, right? With, mm, while yep. recognizing his strength. So let's be honest, he's a player you either like or you don't like. I think his role in the team has been hugely influential over many years, sometimes negatively, sometimes positively. At the moment, he absolutely understands that positional play. If you watch him, he always makes sure he's never on the same line as Sinjenko. He always makes sure he's either inside or outside. So that's why he's positioned accordingly. Now, Zinchenko absolutely loves coming inside. That puts Shaka into a different role sometimes on the outside, right? So, which he does without question, doesn't even hesitate. He's just very smart positioning. When he has to be on the inside, he knows what to do. Obviously, that's where he's made his living. I said pre-season that he is now receiving the ball a lot back to goal. Now, I don't think that's him, right? So so you think, okay, that's not really him. But he does it. He does it except he does it pretty well. Does as well as Aubameyang did for a couple of years, right? He does it pretty well. He receives the ball, sets it off. No dramas. Now, with a player like Odegaard, if he receives it back to goal, we all, our eyes brighten up because we think he's got a couple of moves to get out of there. Right? Do you see what I mean? And Grayshack is a bit more conservative. Smith Rowe's quite conservative when he's back to goal until he turns. One out of five times. When he turns, it's all over. Right? He carries it into a danger area. So I think it's just, we have to have a level of acceptance that the way we're playing now, on a sunny day, when everything's going well, we've got good possession, we look at him and say, are you quite it? In this game where we spent a, a good proportion of it off the ball, he was very important on the, his penalty area blocks, his covering, and his defending. And we're sitting here today on the back of a 2-0 win, where we're basically top of the league and going to win everything. We have to remember, this is one of those games, this is one of those bogey team games. You know, this is one of those games we don't get something from and haven't done for quite a while. So this is a huge three points for us, much bigger. This Fulham, and I'd say Brighton, were the results of the weekend because they weren't, you know, that wouldn't have, if they'd have all gone the other way, no one would have said anything. Do you know what I mean? They were the results from the, from the weekend for me. The rest were pretty uh, standard, shall we say. And so, for me, within that context, I think he does really, really well. I just wonder what's going to happen with him eventually, because stylistically, we are moving away from him, and he, and he's just saying, "Nah, I'm not having. I'm going to play a role for you that you can't that you can't leave me out," and and that's where I am with him. And as long as he keeps doing that, keep performing at this level, I'm fine with it. But if we were to get a Tielemans, let's just call his name out. You know, I wonder what we, what else we could get. But I also wonder what else we might lose, right? So, and that's and that's a stylistic thing, a development thing. So, 
let's see where we go, right? We lost a 31-year-old in, or 30-year-old in Lacazette, which means we're literally younger than we were last year, more or less, from an average age perspective. If we lose Shaka again and then come down to and put a 25-year-old in there, this truly is a very young squad, but um, but with a huge ceiling, obviously. So one to watch, Elliot, one to watch. Yeah. Um, Paul, I, I don't want to zero in too much on any one performance in this game in the from a critical standpoint only because I think it's our first bit of evidence. You know, we have the preseason, which you sort of throw out once the season starts. You have a tough away game at a place where not a lot of big clubs uh, played well last season or got results last season. They were they were on five clean sheet consecutive clean sheets at home. So we we have to really appreciate how difficult a task this was on opening night and how impressive it is to get it done. Looking at some of the other results around the league and some of the teams that were not able to do that under much easier conditions. I mean, Brighton is a very very good team. United looked a mess against them, and I think we're lucky to even lose just two one. But do you think that? One of the challenges here, too, I, given that we didn't have Smithrow, given that we didn't have Vieira, given that we may not have all the players we're planning to sign, um, some of the absences, you know, not having Tomiyasu, that we also had the problem that the manager just had to be really, really careful about the timing of the substitutions and when to change it. Because I was looking at the clock and I'm thinking, wow, we really haven't changed it yet. And the game's not flowing the way we'd like. And, and we really should change it. And you look at the bench. And the only two players who I thought made any sense to really change it were the were the two that came on. To be fair, Sambi did come on very, very late. But the, the <laughs> Tierney and Enkedia changes. Um, but I also accept that doing that earlier, you know, may also take away your ability to control possession, which we would have liked to do. We just never really got, the, had the ability to do it. I thought it was interesting when Enkedia came on for Jesus. I thought he could have come on for either Saka and Martinelli too. I thought the whole front three sort of, drifted from the game, but then it winds up being Saka who gets the, you know, quote unquote goal. What are your thoughts on the situation with the bench as it stood on that night, the timing of the subs and sort of, you know, not really quite having the ability to change it when the game wasn't going the way we would have liked. Yeah. um, Tough one. I think it was a mistake not to make the changes earlier, except when you then look at the context and you look at who's on the bench and like Tierney played what? Basically, effectively 10 minutes with a bit of uh, added time there. And that might have been 10 minutes more than they really wanted to use him. Uh, but this might have been his first come, sit on the bench and we'll bring you on with two minutes to go to kind of wind down the clock and make you feel part of it. But we desperately needed something. So we pulled the ripcord. Um, we could have made the, I, I agree with you as well with the Eddie, Eddie and Katia. Uh, substitution. He could have come on 10 minutes earlier for Martinelli, for Saka. Um, on the other hand, it was Saka who was instrumental in the goal. Uh, Martinelli is still full of beans. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the season because Eddie should be getting on there 70, 75 minutes in for one of the three. And in this particular game, like it might have been Gabriel Jesus who had the most wear and tear with centre-backs climbing on his back and he wasn't quite able to spin the way he was in the first 30 minutes. It probably made sense. He probably could have done that a bit earlier. 
I uh, don't see that it would have necessarily co- and we would then have had Eddie giving their back line maybe pressing Anderson a little bit more because you can't like we we probably needed somebody to get some gloves on Anderson a few times and you can't do that for 90 minutes because uh, he was nowhere near our back line they really kept him nice and safe and in the pocket uh, picking it up off the off the goalkeeper at times like Whoever it was whose job was to chase down Anderson for 90 minutes would have been absolutely shattered. So we could have got... Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That's why I think I would have gone for Eddie earlier uh, and said, close those spaces down when you can get within range on Anderson and and take away some of that option. You won't get there every time, but get across there. Um, and like Tierney, I don't know. We wanted to bring him on. Um we probably didn't want to bring him on any earlier, but we pulled the ripcord. Zinchenko was was stretched, getting roasted. <laughs> yeah, he was and was. tiring. He was getting roasted. Yeah. yeah, and tiring. Like he's never had to at City. He's never had to do that much full backing in his life. Never had to run back that often, that hard, and uh, the gaps were being exposed. So, like, definitely the subs, like. What would we have done di- b- different if we'd been the manager? Sambi came on with a couple of minutes to go, but that was to waste time. Totally fine with that. Um, he could have, co- like, Sambi's a good player. He could have played a role a little earlier. But Chaka, who would you bring him on for? Probably Odegaard is the one player where you'd say, it's not really happening. It's not, he could have come off to- sooner. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Whereas uh, Chaka was, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, Chaka was, ended up being instrumental in the goal. He, He's the link play back to Ramsdale. He's the link to Eddie that pass before. It's a very nice, subtle pla- pass just where Eddie wants it to bring it across the pitch. Clive's shaking his head and I'm stressing him, so I'm going to keep talking for a little bit till his head explodes. <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I, I think yeah, there's, ahead, there's a... Me- mm-hmm. For me, there's a, there's a game... The way I look at this game is I'm really, really pleased with the win. It was never going to yeah. be smooth. It was a yeah. very, very yeah. hard place to go. So I'm just conscious. I'm listening to us talk. I'm thinking we really are slicing around at the, f- the last two percentile. Yeah, we are nitpicking yeah. massively, right? So what I would say, themes, themes. Let's give you some themes, right? Themes. We've added a cut. We've added three players in Saliba, Zinchenko, and Jesus that are perfect for positional play. They can play inside and out. Saliba's played time at right back. He's He can play in the back three and he can play in the back two. Tick. Sinchenko can play inside and out. He can also play in midfield. Three zones of the pitch. Tick. Ben White can play inside and out, just to bring his name up, because people need to recognise what we have here and why he's so suited to his system. Jesus can play inside and out. He's happy going out to a touch zone. When he robbed that guy, he robbed him at left back, <coughs> then cut inside as a winger. So we've added and, and so Clive, many... Salib- Saliba can step into midfield, right? And that's a yeah, big can, piece he can step in, into the, midfield. in total football. Yeah, it's like a heavyweight Ben White. He can step into midfield, but happy on the back foot, right? So so we've added so much more optionality and speci- specifics to the positional system. So because of that, we have to, we have to change our mindset, stop looking at numbers on the back and start looking at the zones of the pitch that they, they are operating in and can they operate there? Back to my Shaka conversation. Can he operate there optimally? He can, opt- he can operate there absolutely optimally to be decided. And, and yep. one other thing, one other theme from this game for me, and it's one game, so it's, it's, a, it's a nitpick theme. 
But for me, the game did not suit Odegaard, which I have got a problem with. What I have got a problem with is if we're not reacting to the fact the game didn't suit him because he's our captain and we don't want to take him off. Now, I've, I am not sure if that's a solid view and I'm really interested in people's feedback. But I felt this game needed a third centre midfielder. Sammy should have come on 15, Great. 20 minutes earlier. And then we could have competed with them. I don't think we lose anything from a build-up perspective because we weren't building up. It was a game of rugby, a game of territory, a game of tennis. So we need somebody that can compete in the middle, first ball, second ball, carry with physicality to say, I'm not letting you come through me. I'm holding on to this win. I want my three points. I don't want... I, I think my Odegaard could easily be our player of the season. But not every game is the same and not every game is going to suit him. Recognise it, change it, trust somebody else. I do not want to get yep. back in a situation we got to the end of last season where we didn't trust certain people at certain moments and I think it cost us points. I really think it did. We fight subs, trust, let's get on with it. We know what the game is. We're all smart. The coaches are way smarter than us. Recognise it, make the change and let's just roll on, right? So that's where I am with it. Yeah, it's funny, Clyde, because like, I think the one profile maybe we're missing on a day when your passing game is not going right or it's getting late in the game and you haven't been able to maybe play out the way you'd like, you'd love to bring bring on like a like an Adama Traore. You know what I mean? Like someone who can pick the ball up and run you out of trouble. Maybe that's a Smith Rowe. Maybe that's who we need. Maybe it'll wind up being, a, a, it's not going to be Vieira, but like, you know, if you if you can't bring on another midfielder, because I don't know if Arteta has the faith in Sambi just yet because he's seen him make the errors at Anfield. He's seen him give away the ball and get punished, and, and maybe those pictures are in his head um, because I agree that it wasn't happening for Odegaard. Maybe the profile we're missing, and this is where Atielemann starts to come into the conversation. Someone who will take the ball and literally run it beyond the pressure and carry it into the final third because, Paul, like... There are times, especially as the game's wearing on, where you just need to flip the pitch. Sometimes you can flip the pitch by kicking it long. And we were kicking long a lot, but it was coming back at us. The other way you can flip the pitch is have someone who will just carry the ball beyond that wave. And, you know, Clive, you may you may say it's Vieira. We don't, I don't know enough about him yet to, to say. I mean, I, I'd love that to be the case. I think Smith Rowe has those capabilities. I think once upon a time... Pepe did that. Like, the irony is, Pepe loves to lose the ball in the final third, but he never loses it on the halfway line. He always beats a man there. And, and Paul, this game was crying out for another player, whether it's an extra passer in midfield or an elusive carrier who could have helped us get just a little more territory. But that's not really in our <laughs> arsenal uh, in terms of what we had on the bench, you know? Yeah, look, I think there's two ways to go, and I think we've been astute, as you Americans say, in... <laughs> Um, like Sambi for Odegaard would have made all sorts of sense there. Just like fr from minute one, maybe that's another conversation, but from minute 70, 75, those legs, that athleticism, we, we rarely play him on the right, but he, I see no reason why he would have given them all sorts of conniptions that Odegaard wasn't at that point. We saw what Eddie did, not by being better than Jesus. We know saw what Tierney did upfield, not by being better than a Zinchenko upfield. Um, but what Tierney reminds me of is the other way we we could have impacted this game and these kinds of game is having some height up there. Now, not not because Tierney is six foot two, but because he won a header, and we are like it's not clear to me we're looking for a midfielder right now, but it is clear to me we're looking for. Uh, a wide forward and 
wouldn't it be nice if that wide forward was quite tall and could win a header or two? Doesn't have to be Darwin Nunes. But, like, that would have been a nice option to bring on with 70 minutes because now you can mix it up a bit. Ramsdale can get his head up. Saliba, White, get their heads up. Hit him. Get us out of that deep block, up the pitch. Get men around it to win the second ball. And now we're up the pitch, and we didn't have to be clever, sophisticated. We didn't have to... Yeah, uh, that's my point. Ping pong, regain, retain, shake and bake. All that stuff. We picked Look, it up to the guy and got players around him to support him. And the the yeah. the thing with, with when you watch Liverpool that always strikes me is how yep. much long ball they will play. Because when yep. they used to get it to Sadio Mane or get it to Mohamed Salah, they just freaking run past people or beat a man. You know, and like we'll learn to get it to Saka in space more and Martinelli in space more. But I do think adding profiles of players who can stretch and 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 get past some pressure because. Some days you'll be able to ping the passes around the press, and some days you'll be able to press the opposition with an inch of their life. But some days you're going to need to just win in 1v1 situations, right, and have a player yeah. who beats his man and opens everything up for everyone else. Um, Gabriel Jesus will do that as well. We saw that early in the game. It faded a bit late. So all in all, though, like this wasn't a, a Monet. Maybe it was more of a Picasso, but it's still a masterpiece because you're winning away at a – at a ground where not a lot of big clubs are going to win away on opening night under immense pressure. And I couldn't be more happy. The second goal, by the way, it looks like, you know, because it's an own goal, it doesn't get a lot of hype. It's a beautiful goal building back to front and back around. And there's a lot of passes in the buildup. It's, it's slick football. The first goal set piece goals. For some reason, I don't think we get as excited about, but set pieces are where set pieces are where you see coaching on the pitch. And that's a beautiful, beautiful set-piece routine. And I think we're going to see a lot more good set-piece routines because, again, now you're adding a, a William Saliba and his six-foot-three frame into the middle of, of the box. So there's just more opportunity there. Um, and we did well defending set-pieces and, it, it, by and large, crosses. Like, there was a lot, lot here that we haven't gone into that was good. Well, we're going to go into it on the rewatch. Clive, before we say goodbye, this was the hardest game in, in August, I think. I mean, it. You know, Leicester at home. I think Palace away is harder. <clears throat> we have Bournemouth still to come. You know, we we've got. This was the game that we needed to win to set us on a good run, and I think we could get on a good run. <clears throat> we saw Liverpool drop points to Fulham. This is a hard league, top to bottom. But real quick, before we say goodbye, can we just have a little laugh at at Manchester United because they just they just still and I realize very early in a project of a new manager with them. But they're melting down. They're in the position we were in this time last season. And I think Lissandro Martinez looked like he's going to have some trouble adapting, which puts a big smile on my face. Harry Maguire was as bad as ever. Like, they've got huge problems. They tried to call on their savior, Ronaldo, who doesn't want to be there. That didn't work out. They're looking to spend big money to bring in Arnautovic, decent player. He's, what, 43 years old. So, Clive, do you want to have a quick little chuckle at, at Manchester United, continuing <laughs> to look like they may, I, I, they may put a smile on our face this season? I, I did watch that game, and it's about it, it's so it's literally like us when just before Arteta came in, really probably around that period. We had, now if you go take it from the back, got goalkeepers you can't pass it, right? Dallow, oh, never been a, a player, a joke, never been a player. Dallow, never been a player, shouldn't be there, right? Um, 
Wan-Bissaka can't get near it at the moment, but actually if they were to play a 3-2-5 that he should play instead and just don't move and cover that right-hand side, and then that's where you use Martinez properly as a left centre-back or an inverted full-back. But of course, they've got him in a two. Well, good luck with that. Um, then you got a left-back, Luke Shaw, you know, constantly fighting fitness and, uh, and weight issues, and he's, he's due a hamstring very shortly. Um, and then you have Fred McTominay. Um, Fred's oh, a much better player. McTominay. he's just a runabout merchant, and um, and it's just it and just an annoys injure, me. Injure his fellow professional merchants. Yeah, terrible and tackles. And they were playing the Fred gone. deep and McTominay up yeah. the pitch relatively. It was weird. Yeah, to talk about picking the wrong <laughs> club, Fred, you know, you're ruining your career. Get out of there quickly as you can. Uh, Rashford, he's trying his best, super super preseason fitness work wise, but I still think he's a confidence issue in front of those home fans. Sancho looks a bit sharper actually, and but I think he'd much prefer to play off the left, so he got a clash there. Um, and of course, you've got um, Ericsson is trying to just sit in a pocket against a, a Brighton midfield that basically packed the centre. So good luck getting you get it to your feet. And then you've got Bruno going where he likes, trying to run the dressing room. And then Ronaldo's really trying to run the dressing room. We've had this in the past with Ozil. Uh, and so we, 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 we can giggle now because we've seen this. Yes, There's no recruitment <laughs> strategy. I don't know what their shape is. I don't know what they're trying to do. And... He's got this, all and the that, wrong players for his system, right? And he's got to choose, am I going to play my way or am I going to play their well, way? And he can't play their way. If you think about what Arteta did when he had, because we can say this now, when he got such specifics in our team, and when he yeah. played a back three, when he had an, a false left wing back playing inside to allow Bamiyang to go and win us the cup, these systems that he implemented when we were rubbish, basically. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and so, May Knight are not in great shape. He hasn't got the tools that he needs. He's got to put something in place. For me, I'll go back free if I'm him. Put something in place which allows them to stabilise. You don't put your system in yet until you have stability. Stabilise the team, then work on the recruitment strategy and make sure it's consistent. They won't do that, of course. They'll continue to mess up. So we've been here, right? And it's not nice. And a lot, and we're still paying our way out of it. There are still people walking out of our club for like 5 million euros for Torreira. We spent 22 million on him. You know, this is, we're, we're not, we're not in laughing city yet. We've got a 72 million pound winger that we're not sure what to do with. You know, Maitland Niles last year's contract. I can't see no one knocking the door down. So we're Quite not out of the woods yet. Chad and Freud. This is how it goes. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I must admit, I am terrible at Chad and Freud. And Elliot does not invite me onto that podcast because of it. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the we're in the window treatment phase of fixing up the house, and they're in the pouring the concrete for the foundation phase, or actually knocking down the old house phase. And I'm just glad we're not there anymore. Look, let's leave it there. We're going to rewatch this week. We got more all or nothing content coming out. We've got, um, you know, a transfer pod when we sign our new players this week. So we'll obviously do a pod about that, and then the main pod and all that stuff. So. Big new season underway. Uh, we are still working out the kinks, as you can see, with the Tim being here and then not being here thing. And so um, conversation getting dragged in some different directions. But it's all part of the journey, my friends. You take the good with the bad, and we will definitely take three points away at Crystal Palace to start the season. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Pause. Always believing in Zinchenko. Yeah. Got to love a new song when it pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. So um, just a reminder, we will probably schedule a live event around the time of the open top bus parade, but I don't know if it'll be before or after. 
So I, I can't commit to a date yet, obviously, but around the time of the open top bus break. Okay, we love you. We'll talk to you after our still 10, Lester. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.